this time, and I have it. If you need a Bible, we'll be going through the Word. Uh, Pedro there has a Bible. If you need it, just raise your hand. We'll be getting it to you. So we'll be starting uh, this morning in Luke chapter 3. We've been going through uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, the Dr. Luke, who's uh, gone through and, and, and goes through very much um, as, uh, as bringing forth witnesses on the Word of God and, and on who Jesus was. And so we've gone through, and, and from last week to this week, from the last verse in chapter 2 to this week, there's a difference, a gap in the scripture here of 18 years about. And we're going to be going from Jesus as a child in the temple and considering those things and heading back home with his family to um, John and looking at John the Baptist and his ministry. And it's really amazing to look at how you have... The King of Kings coming, the, the Savior of the world coming, and we have the Herald John, the, the uh, prophesied Herald John coming in his birth and, and the things surrounding it. And we're going to look at the message of that today. And, and the message that God, after all this time of, of, of quiet from the Old Testament to the New, he's coming out and he's saying, repent, repent. Which is, and as we look at the scriptures, you're going to realize is a really good thing for all of us as believers that we can repent. And so we're going to start this morning and let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we pray that you just bless your word this morning, God. Speak to our hearts. Change our lives, God. We just want to know you more, Father, and know your word and know truth, God that regardless of what the lies of this world spin or the opinion is or what is even popular, God, we desire to know you in your heart and we desire to know truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate began to govern Judea, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Philip being the tetrarch of Latura in the region of Tecolonitis, if I can say that right, and Lycerian, the tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were the high priest. Now, Luke, um, being very detailed and chronological, gives us this snapshot of time. And... Um, and even beyond that, instead of giving a date, if I said in the days of President Trump or in the days of President Obama or in the days of this, that would kind of give you a flavor based on who that person was too. I mean, if it was, oh, that guy's a tyrant, then, then it kind of gives you an idea of what the world situation is more than just the date. If I gave you a date, you'd have to go, oh yeah, who was president then? What was going on? And so some of these names are there and... and, and Tiberius was, was a wicked man, horrible, very, very persecutive, and, and worse than him was Pontius Pilate. He came in after Herod. Herod tried to appease the Jews and pretend to be a Jew. The, 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 the Herod be up along the, below these tetrarchs is kind of like Herod's three, three kind of offspring of his authority kind of split into three tetrarch. And, but Pontius Pilate did not care for the Jews at all. He had no problem persecuting him, thought was, I'm going to put down the law, lay down the law, and do what I want, and they're going to just have to get in line. So, so he was worse, and then you see these tetrarchs, and they were even worse than him. 
And so you have this really bad government setup at the time. It was not a, a good, you know, political situation, a good time to be a Jewish person at all, a lot of persecution. And so it's kind of interesting, and we know this time is about, uh, probably about 28 AD, 28 to maybe the beginning of 29 AD. And it's kind of interesting, um, all the way up until 1961, you know one of the biggest arguments against the Bible was, we have no record of this guy named Pontius Pilate. He didn't exist. There's, the Bible isn't true. You guys want to hold on to Pontius Pilate. Well, guess what? He wasn't around. But then in 1961, Egypt started building the Ashwan Dam. And so the Nile would dump out into the, the Mediterranean there, and the plume of the silt would go up the coast of Egypt. And so the water was murky. And then in 1961, they put in a dam, and the water stopped being murky. And then they started to know, hey, look, there's this little horseshoe shape. And they found this place in the Bible called Caesarea. And so they started excavating it. And then they find this tablet, Pontius Pilate, the prefect. Uh-oh. Bible's right again. You know, I just love it. It's like, how many times do you hear, All right, well, you don't know this and this and this. Just because you haven't found it yet doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Just because you haven't found what's in the Bible yet isn't a proof that it's wrong. It just means you haven't found it yet. You know, and I love it. But so you have this, and so you have this time and this date you know, and what's going on there. And, and I love how Luke, you know, it's not once upon a time in a land far, far away. No, these are places. And they were there. And they might just be under some sand and silt until you dig them up. You know, and I, you just got to love it. I wonder if Egypt even knew they were doing that for God. I mean, it's just, you know, God knows that all this time we're going to build a dam and suddenly, boom, we got this stone tablet with Pontius Pilate's name on it sitting under the ocean. And they find it. I mean, yeah, okay. You know God's hands in that. I love it. You know, how many historians were sitting there just itching their head and how many ended up saved? You know, I just wonder. But continuing on in the middle of verse 2, it says, well, let's, let's look. Here's another interesting thing. We have two high priests. Isn't that weird? We usually have one high priest, but we have Ananias, Ananias and, um, yeah, now I'm spitting out names. But um, there's two of them in Caiaphas. And so there's, there's two opinions on that. One is saying, okay, they, 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 uh, the younger high priest, it was his dad, so he still went to him as the matriarch, patriarch of the family, went to him for authority and cleared everything through dad. Well, and that's very possible. The other thing is, it's his son-in-law, and so Rome come in and didn't like him and said, we're going to put you in charge instead. And so now you have people who the Jewish people recognize as, hey, he's the oldest high priest, we're going to talk to him, but Rome recognizes you, so you guys got to work together to make this work. So another interesting thing about even history that was at an odd at the time where we got two of them, high priests, compared to Jewish tradition. But moving on in the middle of verse 2, it says, And the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And so we know John being foretold he was going to be the forerunner of Christ. Zechariah, I'm sure, pouring into his son as long as he could. He, he was raised with a Nazarite vow. He wasn't to cut his hair. He wasn't to drink alcohol. He wasn't to be around dead bodies and those things. And so we know he was out in the wilderness. And this wilderness isn't like um, a forest, like you'd think. This is desert wilderness. This is rocks and bushes. It's like I, I grew up in the Hazard High Desert, so I kind of have a picture. You know, and so he's out in the wilderness, and there, there is the Jordan River out there, but that's where he's growing up, okay? Here you have a priest's son who had the right to be in the throne, the right to live in these places, right? 
the, a, a good job at the time to go and serve, especially a good job when your rotation was like, you know, you might have to go work. You know, I don't know how many of you guys in here. Would you like a rotation where you might have to go work every three years for two months? I mean, yeah, and you get a percentage of everything coming in. That sounds good to me. Sign me up. I'll be a priest now. No, I mean, it, it's amazing to think, you know. And so he's out there, and he's choosing to live in the wilderness. He, he's he's kind of gone away from the world in that sense. And the word of God comes to him out there. He's out there, he's there, and he's been out there for some time, but now we have in the scripture the word of God comes to him. And, and, and he's an interesting guy. If we look at the account in Matthew 3, there's kind of the same account. It says John was clothed in camel hair. He had a leather strap around his waist, okay? And he ate locusts and wild honey. So he ate bugs, okay? You got a guy out there living some itchy, burlap-looking clothes, eating bugs. Yeah, that's my forerunner. You have the Messiah coming, you have a herald coming, What's he look like? Oh, yeah. Remember, we're doing with Jesus who went to shepherds, right? So my forerunner's not going to be in a temple, not going to be in the palace, not charging the priest. He's going to be in the middle of nowhere, definitely not dressed in the style of the day, and eating bugs, you know? It's like, who's this guy? He's got a little honey in his beard, a couple of grasshopper legs. I mean, just kind of interesting man. I mean, he's just, you just got to admit it. He's strange. This guy's strange. I mean, you're traveling to Jerusalem, you come across this guy out in the wilderness preaching. I mean, yeah, no wonder his reputation got around. He was strange looking, right? It wasn't just the regular crazy, he was a different kind of crazy out there looking. I mean, it's amazing to see who God uses. And that's how, how gone John was. He wasn't seeker friendly. You know, he wasn't trying to fit in and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the temple and I'm, 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 hey, don't you guys know I'm prophesied, I'm supposed to be here, I'm supposed to be here for the forerunner? get on board. No. He's out there, and it's interesting where God had placed him out there. That was his calling. And God speaks to him out there. And in verse 3, as we continue on, it says, he went into all the region around Jordan, preaching baptism for the, of the repentance of the remission, or for the remission of sin. Repentance for the remission of sin. Now, it's interesting. Repentance. You know, when you think of that word repentance, it means to turn from sin. It means to turn from sin. And the remission of sin, that term is freedom from that sin. The remission, the setting off, the, the going away, the freedom from sin. And, you know, sin's interesting because it never tells you that it's enslaving you. It never tells you, oh, this sin is actually going to put you in some kind of bondage. It's going to hold you down. It's going to trap you. But what an awesome thing to hear. I mean, Nowadays, we sit here and go, okay, you hear the word, oh, repent. You know, so what we do is we think really bad about the sin we've done. Okay, let's all do it. Ready? Pause, think, oh, I feel bad for myself. God doesn't care about how you feel about your sin. He said repent. He you know, the funny thing is most of us about our sin love it or like it a little or we wouldn't be doing it, right? Well, do you want to repent? You know, God doesn't care. It's a change of your mind that changes action. That's what repenting is. God doesn't want you to feel bad and go, oh, I'm guilty, man, I come to church and I know I still need to change this thing I'm still struggling with? No. We need to repent, which means to change our mind and change our actions, change direction. And now the world, you say the world repent. Oh, I'm offended. Why? I just said you need to repent. That means I must be sinning. Yeah. You must be sinning. You know, and the amazing thing is the world knows it's sinning, but they don't want to hear it anymore. That's offensive. We're going to put you in jail for saying, I, you know, that hurt my feelings. What? Being a sinner hurts your feelings? Yeah, it should. That's a proper thing. Touching fire should hurt. 
I'm sorry I told you you can't touch fire. It will burn you. You know, it's amazing to see. It's, it's, a, it's just interesting as heck where the world we live in. You know, oh, you offended me because your opinion makes me feel bad. And if I feel bad, then something must be wrong. Yeah, something is wrong. You need to repent. You need to change your direction. You need to change your mind. And so many times you come out and we, we you know, as we share with people, they know they're sinners. If these people are offended. Why? Because they know I'm a sinner. I just don't want you pointing it out. It's not nice. Yeah, it is nice. It's nice if you have a solution. <laughs> you know? If you come over to me and say, Tim, you're fat. Well, that thanks. If you come over, Tim, I can help you lose weight. That's a whole different story. You know? <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those type of things. And so it's interesting. Repentance isn't bad, though. The world is lost, and that's what it needs to hear most of all. There isn't, there isn't a better solution. There's no world peace. Nope, it's not the answer. Well, you know, if you just love your... No, that's not the answer. You realize what the answer for all the world's problems are is repent. If people were all around the world repented of their sin, what problems would we have? Oh, wow, yeah, because that would mean there'd be no more sin, right? Right? But what if we were, you know, not to eradicate sin totally, but man, you talk about a different world if we were repentive. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic, they pull, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Apologize. I have a finger problem, help me. You know? So, you just think about it. It would, that's, you know, you don't need world peace, you need world repentance. You know? And, and that's what we need. And here, the message from John is, repent. The Savior's coming. Jesus is coming. And repentance is a good thing. The fact we can repent. Isn't that awesome? That you can change the direction of your life from sin and destruction and being enslaved from sin, we get to change. We get to repent. We don't have to be that same person. You know, it's like a do-over, you know? You look at some of the things we've lived through and some of the things you've done, and you go, man, I wish I could go back in time and just change that one comment. I had no clue it was going to, man, why did I do that? I'm so wicked. Guess what? We can repent. It's an amazing thing. And when we usually hear that word, we go, oh, that makes me feel guilty. No, you get to repent. Is that awesome? I love it. And God's coming to the world, and John's saying, hey, you get to repent. You have these people coming in groves to hear what? You get a change. You get to repent. You know, he tells them you can be, he, he's offering the baptism of repentance. And baptism, baptism, um, it's kind of interesting when you look at the history of baptism. Baptism was generally part of a ceremony for a Gentile to become part of the Jewish faith. They couldn't ever be a Jew, but you could be a Gentile that was worshiping God and, and trying to find favor. And part of that ceremony was baptism. That's where baptism comes from. It was, hey, you've got to lay this old person down. You're no longer a Gentile. We're going to make you a new creator. You're going to be new. You know, coming up out of the water, and, you know, that will be part of the thing. So it's really interesting when you have John out there, this Jewish hippie or whatever you want to call him out there, living in the woods, and he's getting Jewish people and saying, guess what? You have to be like a Gentile. You have to lay down your whole nature, and you've got to start over again. You've got to start afresh. When we do baptism now as believers, there's two things the Bible says we still need to do as far as Gentile believers is. One is communion, and the second is baptism. It doesn't mean you're going to get into heaven with it or not, but it's a sign of your heart that's saying, hey, I've chosen to lay down my old nature, and I've become a new creation in Christ, and I want everybody to know it.
you know. And so he was out there preaching the baptism of repentance. And in verse 4 it says, As it is written in the book of the word of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his path, or make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain, mountain and hill brought low, and the crooked places be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, this was kind of like what would happen when a king would come to a town. We didn't have Caltrans or road service. And so when a king was coming in out and was going to travel, heralds would go out and make sure the road and the path was straight and would plan out a route. It's not like you pulled out Google and said, okay, wait, we got a roadblock here, we got to go this way. No. Okay, I'm going to go over to this kingdom. I'm going into a kingdom I don't know. We're going to come in as a thing, and heralds are going to go first. And that herald show up into town and say, hey, guys, the king's coming. You better get your room in order. It's like your mom's coming into your bedroom. You know what I mean? Okay, mom's going to come check your bedroom, see if it's clean. Wait a minute, I've got to get that road straight. Wait. Everything's got to fit under the bed somehow. No. You know, you sit there and you look at it and it goes, come on, make the road straight. And, and John was saying, hey, we're out here. This Messiah's coming. Get your heart in order. Get your heart in line. Make those things, those road bumps, those blocks, deal with them. And not to say, it's interesting that he's out there, he's preaching this, preparing the way for Christ. But yet I see in my life, I go, I could try this really hard, but I don't know how I do it without Christ. You know, preparing, okay, my heart's ready, but really what he's telling them is recognize you're a sinner and you need a Savior because the Savior's coming. How am I going to be able to really um, be free from sin? Well, first Christ has to come into my life. We take communion. First, what does he do? The bread represents being part of Christ. The body, the blood, comes second, and that's the forgiveness of sin. So many people go, well, I'll accept Christ when I get my life. I'll get my life in order and I'll start going to church. Once I start, and you're not going to ever get your life in order before you start walking with the Lord. It ain't going to happen. You know, people who sit here in town and, and some of the different stuff we've uh, been a part of, and oh, how do we do this with the homeless and this? I don't. I'm sorry. I'm a roofer. All I know is Jesus can change my heart and he changes people's heart. So if you can somehow get them, the homeless people that want to accept Christ to church, maybe God can change their heart. Besides that, I have no program. I've never gone to school for any of this, and I guarantee you, roofing will not keep you off drugs. Might do the opposite. No, <laughs> it's rough. You know, it takes them. <laughs> I'm just sorry, you know. The only thing I know is Jesus. That's the only thing. I've never done any of these major drugs, but I've sinned, and I have God changed my heart. And so, to repent, to have God come in and change your life, to change your thinking, so your actions then follow and change. And so, the amazing thing in verse 6, it says, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. We're all going to see the Savior. Every person will see and have a chance to be saved. All. See the salvation of God. And this is in Isaiah. What an amazing thing, right? And it's amazing. If I was to ask you guys, okay, what's, what's the main problem in your life? What's the main problem with America, or what's the main problem with stuff? I think you would answer very much like the Jews at this time. If you ask them, what's going on? Well, 
there's these Roman dictators, there's this oppression. Well, they over there, and them over here, and this person, and these people, and... And you know what John was saying out in the wilderness? He's going, you know what the problem is? You. You need to repent. Not they need to repent. You need to repent. And many times in our lives, we can look at the culture, we can look at America and go, well, what's the problem? We need to repent. The message that needs to go out, that the world needs to hear, is what? You need to repent. It's not them, it's not they. Oh, you know, nobody wants to even teach that. They won't even teach that from the pulpit. Let's, let's, you know, sin isn't really sin. Okay, we're just going to ignore sin. Just think positive thoughts that Jesus loves you. Well, God, Jesus is two things. Jesus is the lion and the lamb. He is the judge, and he is the savior, and you can't separate the two. And you're either on one side of that, or you're on the other side of that. And in verse 7, it says, And he said to the multitude who came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that's coming? That's come? I mean, the account a little in, in Matthew's a little different talking to the, the Sadducees and stuff, but could you imagine? Okay, we're sitting here, we say, okay, who would like to get baptized? People raise their hand like, Woo, I want to get baptized for Jesus. And the pastor turns around and says, okay, you brood of vipers. Who warned you about the wrath to come? Well, you did. That's why I'm up here. You know, talk about seeker friendly. You know, you get people, oh, I want to accept Jesus. You brood of vipers. I mean, it's just, I think it's hilarious the way this is in here. You know, pointing it out. Wow. But it's the truth. Who are we? We're, we're sinners. You evil sinners, who warned you about that? Why are you up here? Because you're worried about wrath coming, you know? You know, we were up there at the men's retreat, and we're going through Seth Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and there is a wrath coming. In 2 Thessalonians um, chapter 1, I think, verse 8, or chapter 2, verse 8, it, it talks about that God's going to judge that a fervent fire is coming for those who do not believe in him. A fervent fire. Ooh, that sounds scary and serious. He's coming after those who do not seek after him. There's going to be judgment. God is going to be faithful and judge. He is the lion of Judah. He is going to judge sin. And time is coming close. You know, and the portion I was given is, hey, what's restraining that? There's an evil one coming, and the Holy Spirit, the church, us, we're going to be pulled out, and God's going to judge. But that's the Holy Spirit. There's two people there. You have God's going to pour out his wrath, but he's holding off because of the Holy Spirit working in us. And the question is, why is he holding off? So, uh, we, you know, we get to hang out because, you know, it's fun. This place is a lot better than heaven. No! So we can be serving him. That everyone would come to knowledge. That everyone wouldn't have to go through that wrath is God's heart. He desires that all would be saved, Scripture says. And so, it's interesting to see as he's out there, and he's in there. He's speaking the truth. He is full of the Holy Spirit. He's going to speak the truth. He isn't backing down. And people are coming out and they're hearing it. I mean, if you put this into a church growth program for now, could you imagine? You know, what if Rick Warren taught this Sunday? That would be fun. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, sin doesn't exist with him. Hell isn't real. You just got to think positive about Jesus. That's not true. You have a flesh nature. It's sinful, and you have to repent. And that's not a horrible word. That's an awesome thing we get to do. If you feel bad about it, that's called conviction. Praise the Lord, you're convicted. You know what? Because if you were a sinner, you wouldn't be convicted. 
You know, I heard a story that a guy came to, um, one of the pastors shared this week, and a guy came to, uh, um, I believe it was Jay Mernon McGee, you know, and he comes up and he goes, Pastor, I have this problem. I mean, what's the deal? He goes, man, I'm, I'm, I'm an angry person. I'm always angry. I'm trying to, you know, I'm just sitting here. I'm struggling with it. And it drives me nuts. I hate the fact I get so angry so easy. And he goes, yeah, so what's the problem? He goes, well, man, before I was saved, I was an angry person too. He goes, okay, well, did it bother you before you got saved? No. He goes, good, I'm glad it bothers you now. You're convicted. That means you're saved. That means there's something going on. Before you liked to get mad and you enjoyed it. Now you don't. That's a change. It's a battle. God will be faithful in it, you know, but at least you're upset about it. I'm glad the Lord points out those things in my life that are destructive, that are sin, that are going to entrap me. What an awesome thing. In verse 8, it continues on. It says, Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to rise up children to Abraham of these stones. You know, it doesn't matter how many times your parents went to church, if your grandpa was a pastor, if your, you know, my grandma prayed for me every day. Those, it doesn't matter. It's your own faith. And, and there was a teaching going around at this time that said, hey, man, you're, you're a child of Israel. You're a child of Abraham. You're going to, you're saved no matter what. You have, you're good with God. You don't even have to do a darn thing. It's in your DNA. It's not the case. And I think, you know, we, we're not that much. I mean, I've ran into people, people we've shared with, and go, you know, my, my, grand, my mom always used to call me an angel. And I just know I have this relationship with God. And, and you guys laugh, but it's really sad. This gal we were helping out of the park, she had a broken arm, she had a cyst, we helped her get some antibiotics. And she's relying on the fact that her grandma's face, somehow, she's got some kind of anointing and she's good. And I'm sitting there talking to her, loving on her, and going, you need to repent. She didn't like that too much. You know, you need to repent. At a point she goes, yeah, I know. So, so why don't you? I don't know. Okay, well, catch you next time. Hopefully you're ready to repent. You know, and you look at those things, and we do it, though. Oh, well, you know, I go to church every Sunday. I have a membership card to this church. I mean, I've been a member for... I'm definitely getting into heaven. Well, you know, if you saw my tithing record, God really appreciate. I mean, there's all kinds of things we can start to put in besides the fact, hey, we're sinners, we need to repent, we need Jesus. It's not about your parents, it's not about the fellowship you go to, it's not about the, any of these things. You know what I mean? I, it's funny because I've ran into that. You go out and share, oh, so do you know Jesus? Well, I go to this church. Yeah, again, do you know Jesus? I mean, hopefully you guys don't do that. Oh, yeah, I go to Calvary. Like, yeah, I know a couple people come after you, not just me. But, you know, you better know the gospel. Know why you're saved, you know? Oh, I just go to this church, so I'm good. You know, verse by verse teaching, it's better than everybody else. No. We can do that, though. We can get into our own little um, delusion, if you would. In verse 9 it says, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, it, it, you know, there's time. There's an axe. If it's not fruitful, if your life's not fruitful, if there isn't a change, then something's up. And bearing good fruit. If you say, hey, 
I'm a believer, I've accepted Jesus Christ in your life, looks the same as before you got saved, then there's a problem. There's no fruit. You know, I, I, I don't have a problem. I, I love it when we, we go, we pray with somebody, and you see somebody pray to accept Christ. But I'm always waiting to see fruit. Always waiting to see fruit. I want to I see the change that heart. Because you know what? If it's true and if it's a real heart commitment, people can say whatever they want. I don't know about you. Your kids ever do that? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Okay. Then stop doing it. What do you mean I got to? I'm sorry. That doesn't count. You know, stop choking your brother. Let go of his neck and then be sorry. I mean, <laughs> there's different situations like that, you know. Well, I'm sorry, Lord. Yeah. No, bear fruit. There's got to be action that goes along with that. You know, we know how, how do you bear fruit as a Christian? You try really hard. You know, because we're saved by works, right? No. You abide in Christ. He is the true vine, right? You never see trees out there stressing out. Oh, I've got to make some fruit. Yeah, it doesn't happen that way. You just stay rooted in the word of God. And it grows and it produces and there's fruit. And suddenly you don't even realize there's fruit. Other people generally will notice the fruit before you. Because why? Because I'm just loving Jesus. I'm just in the word. I'm just growing and this is amazing. And, you know, oh, there's fruit. Wow, how did that happen? You know, it's a surprise. Verse 10, it says, And so the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to who has none. And he who has food, let him give to those likewise. And so we have this example, very practical example, but more than that, deeper than giving and having a giving heart and caring for those around you is don't be selfish. Because some of you go, well, I don't have two tunics, I don't have any extra food. Don't be selfish. The Bible says, and where does selfishness come from? Why are we selfish? Well, I'm thinking, okay, if, if I have food, do I give it to somebody else? Because then I might run out. Well, you know, I've got to make sure I have enough for me first, right? Or do I trust God with it? And this has been a stretch because, you know, we go through, went through the you know, financial peace, savings, and all this stuff, right? A lot of good principles there. Don't agree with all of them, actually. Because there's many times where God calls us to give beyond what we have. How am I supposed to help this person, Lord, when I've got to pay rent next week? Trust me and do it. But... God, I'm not going to listen to you because I'm financially logic. No. Okay, God, if he tells you, you do it, you do it sometimes. And that's all of us. But the thing is, it comes from worry. Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore, do not, or therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is it not more, isn't life more than food and and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They neither soar nor reap. They don't have barns to gather into. Yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Right? We relate that to worry. Well, it says do not worry, but about what? Your life. And we worry about our life. Well, I'll help that person in my life, you know. Am I supposed to worry about my life? Oh, yeah, I'm not. It's an amazing thing. One thing when I was preparing for this men's retreat and stuck out and, and God is just making so clear is the simple fact of in our culture we're very independent. Right? We do not look to we don't have we don't have any kind of form of like indentured. We're not indentured. We don't have a king we serve. 
What do you serve? My life is for the kingdom. You know, we, king and country. These, these, these thoughts aren't part of our culture. But what is biblical is your life is not yours. If you're a believer, your life isn't yours. You don't have a right to it anymore. You've given up that right. You don't get to choose. Here, let me give you an example. Okay, how many of you guys in here chose when you were born and where? Into what family? Oh, right. So your life in the beginning of it, you had no part of. Okay, so the part, beginning part of your life, you have no, no say in. Okay, when will you die and where? Oh, you have no part of that either. I think that's the two most major important parts of your life, and you have no say over it. Who does? Oh, God. So guess what God has the right to say also in? From the beginning of your life to the end of your life. He's in control of it all. And really, our hearts should be allowing him to. We get to repent, and we get to change our lives. We get to submit to him. Uh, one of the pastors was talking about submitting to your pastor, which is awesome when you're not the pastor teaching it. <laughs> but no, he was talking about submitting. I'm thinking the whole time is, okay, that's awesome. And he, he touched on it, but we're supposed to submit to the God. And he was talking about how certain times being a pastor and leading and all the, the responsibility to be leading God's people, to be listening. And when he has response times where he's allowed and the elders come to him and say, we want to do this, he goes, yay, the burden's off me. I'll go with what you guys are saying because you're led by the Spirit. And I'm thinking, you know, yeah, it's a heavy responsibility, but guess what I get to do? I get to submit to God. God, they're your people. It's kind of like that Moses thing, right? They're back and forth. You know, Moses says, you're, God, they're your people. And God says, no, they're your people. Back, you know. And it's one of those things. I get to submit to God. I don't have to figure this world out. I have to obey today and trust God for tomorrow. What an awesome thing. And, and, and the things that stink and I don't know, word I suck about me, I get to repent of. And God's going to be faithful to point it out. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And I, I know some, you know, you get people around you sometimes they'll be graciously, lovingly tell you how much you suck in certain areas. But when God does it, he gives you the power to change. And so when you, you know, you talk about morning devotions and you, you look at these things and you go, oh man, I get up in morning devotions and I'm just, they're so dry, they're so boring. Try this. This was a challenge this week and I love it. Try this. When you get up and you read your Bible in the morning and God tells you to do something, do it. So when you go to bed the night before, you know what you're doing the next day? You're going to wake up, read the Bible, find out what he wants you to do that day and do it. It's going to dictate how your day goes. What's going on? Like, oh no, do I turn the page and find out what's going to happen tomorrow? No, we'll wait. I'm not just talking Bible roulette. Go through and read. Go through a book. Let them speak to you. You want your morning devotion? I'm going to find out what's going to happen and what God's going to do today. You know what I mean? If you woke up, I mean, people read their fortunes every day. Why? Because they want to know what's going to happen today. How about you read their Bible and find out what God wants you to do today? And how is it going to happen? It's probably going to blow your mind. You know? So we need to be seeking him. He goes on in verse 12 and says, Then the tax collectors came to him to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Now the tax collectors, this is interesting. Rome basically put these jobs up for bid because they're a lucrative job. 
So you ever think about that? Okay, I want a job, and the way you're going to get that job is you're going to pay for it. It's that good of a job. Like, I'm going to try to bid on this job. And when you get that job, Rome says, I want a certain dollar amount from this region. You're going to give me a certain dollar amount, but you could collect as much as you could. And whatever you collected over that dollar amount, you put in your pocket. So if you go, okay, I can, I can really work these people. So I can put, you know, $100,000 bid on this because I'll have to pay Rome this, but I'll be able to double, triple that by what I'll collect. You know, I, I'm a big guy and scary. I mean, you look at it, but then you have Zacchaeus. He wasn't very big. <laughs> he was a tax collector. But it's interesting. We do have three recorded tax offices in Israel. Three. Okay? One was in Jericho, which is, we find out later, Zacchaeus, right? And then we have one in Capernaum. Guess anybody guess who that is? Matthew was over the office in Capernaum. Those are the guys. There was also one in, in Caesarea, the, the city we just talked about that was on the coast. And so it's really interesting to see. You have these three tax collectors, and you wonder, these tax collectors, was it all three of them that came? Was it Zacchaeus and Matthew that came this first time? Makes it interesting. Or maybe they just didn't have the bid and it was the predecessor. But it's possible. Possible little Zacchaeus was out there hanging out on a tree looking at John the Baptist and go, hey, what are, what, what are we supposed to do? We're, we're scum of the earth in most people's opinion. We're tax collectors. And he said to them, collect more, no more than you're appointed. Just do your job. You can be a tax collector. You can work for the IRS and be saved. Just do your job honorably. You know, and it says, likewise, soldiers asked him. We don't know if these were Jewish temple soldiers. We don't know if these are Roman soldiers. And they said to him, well, what, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not be in, don't imitate or be intimidated, tim intimidate anyone, accuse somebody falsely. Be content with your wages. So what they would do is a Roman soldier would come in and, hey, we're going to arrest you if you don't this, or you pay me a bribe. I can put you, that, that's intimidating. If I come up to you and say, hey, we need an extra hundred bucks or I'm locking you up. That's intimidating, very intimidating. He says, hey, don't, don't accuse somebody falsely. Just do your job honorably. You can be these things. You realize that there are very few jobs in the, word, in the world you can do and not be honorable of Christ. There are very few. I mean, I wouldn't say all jobs. I mean, if you're working for the mafia, repent. You know, like, hey, I'm going to be a... Mafia guy for Jesus. Oh, you repent. There's certain things, yeah. Obviously, you need to change your career. But there's jobs out there that, yeah, people don't like, people don't think highly of. You know what I mean? There are some awesome godly lawyers. I praise God for some of these godly lawyers. They've kept a lot of things from, from destroying them. You know, you think they're guys with their wedding cake. There are some godly lawyers on that guy's side. Praise God for lawyers. Godly lawyers. Now, the rest... Repent. No. <laughs> but you look at it, and you look at these things, and you see how God, even in these things, but even when you do your job. You know, I've, had, had, I've dealt with people and stuff, and their, their thought is, oh, I work for a big corporation. They're not going to miss it. I, I can take a little off the top. They're not going to miss it. I don't have to be honorable. I don't have to be godly. No. It's not biblical. Do your job. Do it honorably. Right? Does your time card reflect what would Jesus do? <laughs> You know, it's amazing. I've, I've seen it repeatedly, and, and it's how we can get lax, how we even with our employers can go, oh, we feel owed. You know, it's okay. But no, do those things honorable. Be a light. You know, repent in those areas. And, and it's interesting to see. I, I, um, 
and, and it's a witness. It's a witness. I know, I know a couple guys, and um, they're roofers, and, you know, they're telling me, yeah, we're Christians and this and this and this. And I talked to them about taking care of this certain type of job because that's the kind of work they do. And they're like, man, we got all the material for that. How do you got all the material for that? Oh, we just take it off the jobs. I don't want you near my roof. I just robbed my employer. We're good Christian roofers. I'd love to come work for you. No, I don't want you robbing me. I don't want those kind of people working. It's amazing how people, you know, totally willing to talk about God and stuff and totally miss. It's like, but your life isn't reflecting it in that area at all. You, you know, you tell me how great you are for your gosh, and then same second you tell me how you're robbing your employer. Yeah. So, in verse 14, it says, like, or down to 15 here. It says, now, well, let's look at the soldiers and the same thing with intimidation here real quick, though. Because besides money and stuff, you can use your position and your power over people. And you see that. You see somebody, they're put in a position of authority, and they now manipulate that person because of that position of authority. And that can be in all kinds of ways. Not just at work. Sometimes you see people where they're not trusting God, so they do it in a relationship. They're manipulating the other person in the relationship because, hey, I am your husband, you have to obey me. That's the same thing, right? Or it could be the opposite attitude. Well, if you don't, I'm leaving you. Throw that ring off, right? Those situations, we're not to be that way. We shouldn't be using any power or authority or, or if somebody's given you some kind of authority or power over their heart in their life for evil in a wrong way. We should do it honestly. We should be, if anything, real with them. And, and I've seen this, and, and it's sad to see because it, it ends up just totally destructive where if the truth came into the situation, see God growing and changing the situation. But when you start to take situations into your own hands and you use the power of authority God gave, that God's given you by putting you in a position to manipulate people, it's always bad. It is always bad, and it's hurtful for both people, including the person who thinks they're somehow getting some kind of advantage for it. And so, you know, just I'm putting it out there. It's one of those things... You know, even me and Heidi in our, in our marriage, we sit down and you sit down and we look at these things and go, wait a minute, am I using my relationship with her to manipulate her to get her to do something right, what I want, or am I being loving towards her? What's my response? What's, where's that work? You know, I mean, that can go even down to work. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're in a power authority at work, you can, you know, sadly get certain people to do things and, you know, favors and different stuff, you know. I've, I've worked at companies where, you know, the main guy's got everything done at his house because, you know, well, how do you get promoted? Well, you know, I seem to get a promotion after I helped him, you know, build a spa in his backyard. Yeah, there's those things. But there's also those things in relationships. And so anyways, continuing on here, now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was a Christ or not. So they're looking at him going, man, is this, this the Savior? This is, is this the guy who's going to free us from Rome? I mean, this is new. Is, is he the one? 
And John answered and said to them, he knew who he was. John answered and said to them all, Indeed, I baptize you with water, but one is mightier than I that is coming, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I love John's response to this and just putting things in perspective. You know, I think as, as believers, as uh, strong believers, sometimes you get people and family that come and ask you for counsel. Hey, in this situation, do you think I should this or this or this? Be careful what you counsel people. Don't step in the way of God. Don't take that position. Counsel them to seek God and seek the Holy Spirit. It's real easy when somebody comes to you. There's some, some things that are pretty obvious. Should I shoot my neighbor? No. I'm not going to say, go pray about that. No. They might read something in the Old Testament. You know, wipe out all the Hittites on Lenin. No. <laughs> I, can, I can solve you a lot of study real quick. Don't do that. But when it comes to, hey, you know, I was praying about buying this car or not. Well, financially, you shouldn't be in debt and stuff. Well, look at the scripture. Look, pray about it. There's some scripture on getting in debt. See if that's really what you need to do. I don't know. What if I should marry this person or not? The questions you can get by being a pastor is kind of scary, right? Should I divorce my husband or not? He's doing this and this and this. I don't know. You need to pray and ask God because I'm not taking responsibility for that. I'm not God. I'm not going to be God. And neither, none of us should be either. And it's easy to say. It's, it's kind of flattering when sometimes somebody asks you a question, right? And your first response is, whew, yeah, they, they want to ask me a question. Cool. Now you can tell them where you get your answers, hopefully. Well, seek Jesus. Here's the Bible. It's not a quick answer. You're going to have to study. You're going to have to put in some work. You're going to have to pray about it. And so John answers and says, hey, I'm not, I'm not able to even tie this guy's shoes. You know? And he's going to baptize us with what? With the Holy Spirit and with fire. And some say, some, some of these commentators are saying, well, that was the day of Pentecost because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and these you know, flames of fire were on them. But I don't think so. I, let's look at the context. In verse 17 it says, Him, His, okay, this, this person coming, Jesus, right? His widowing fan is in His hand. That's a, a fan they used to, to move air to get the chaff and the wheat to come apart. Okay, that's, it's in His hand. He's the one doing it. And He will thoroughly clean the threshing floor and gather the wheat into its barn, but put the chaff he will burn in an unquenchable fire. Doesn't sound like speaking in tongues, Holy Spirit on these guys' head in the day of Pentecost. That sounds like the fire talked about repeatedly in here is judgment. In this portion of scripture, when you look at that, and Jesus is very much the lion and the lamb. Some are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, sealed from that day of judgment, and be raptured out, us believers, and some are going to go into fire, an unquenchable fire. And it's, it's heavy, it's serious when you think about it. He, he is the Savior who forgives sin and the King who judges sin. You know, people go, well, how can a loving God do this? Because he's both the lion and the lamb. Now just be a lamb. Get on that side. Be, be his, let him be his Savior. Let him be that sacrifice for you. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things and... and you know, you, I love to go share about the Lamb of Jesus with people, right? Just want you to know Jesus loves you. He's for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you a future. Last thing I want to come to say, Jesus is going to judge you. His wrath is coming. He's going to wipe out all sin. 
So you better get saved. But guess what? There's been times when revivals have happened right off of that. The coal fields in the 1840s, uh, um, gosh, trying to think of the name, Whitfields or whatever, they went out there and that's exactly what they preached. Got in the middle of all these heathens that are coal miners, so they're buff, said, you guys are all going to hell. And a great revival happened here in the United States. I wonder, is that the time? Is that what people need to hear? They need to hear, hey, you need to repent. You need to change your way. You need to change the direction of your life. It's wrong and it's going the wrong way. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. No, I'm not telling you you're a sinner. You're a sinner and you need to change. I'm not telling you you're just making bad choices. I'm telling you you're going totally the wrong direction, 100%, and you've got to change 100% the opposite way. I'm not just telling you to do sinful things. I'm telling you your heart's corrupt and you need a new one. I mean, you want to be offensive? Amen. I love it. And this Bible this weekend was very much that. You know, it was interesting. Man, the room was so silent up there. It was like quiet. Did you ever have everybody sit through a sermon and you don't even hear anybody sniffle? I mean, it was just, whew, heavy. It was good. Verse 18, and it says, And many with him ex- um, when, and with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod, the tetrarch, be, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, he also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. Man, this guy was twisted and wicked, and he was sleeping with his brother's wife, who was also his brother's daughter. I mean, these things are disgusting. These people are disgusting. You know, you, I don't want to read that. These people are twisted. And so here, John is out there. Guess what? Oh, you know, you don't want to talk about politics. You could offend people. No, he's calling them out. This guy, this guy we're all scared of, he's twisted. He's wrong. He's there, and he got locked in jail for it. He was telling the truth. You know, speak out, be a Christian, but, you know, you just don't, you don't want to offend anybody, you, you know. You don't want to get in trouble. You could get legal in legal trouble. And it's kind of interesting because we've had a lot of freedom in the United States, but that time's coming to an end. That time's coming to an end. Alex is starting to go into Delta, and he's going into this class about college stuff, and one of the things he started talking about, he's sitting there, and he's sharing, and there's some Muslim kids there, and he's talking, well, you know, I believe that, you know, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Well, you can't say that. That's wrong. That's that's discriminating. No, that's my opinion. No, that's discriminating. You're not allowed to say that. Well, what do you believe? Well, I believe, you know, I'm a Muslim, we, you know. Okay, so is that the only truth? Yeah, that's the real way. So your way is okay, but my way is not. Yeah. And then, later on, the teacher comes to talk to him. You know, we don't want to talk about subjects. Those, those subjects, you know, that's kind of like racism and it's division. What? Ooh, saying that I believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven is now racism? Isn't that scary? You could get arrested for your faith, like John. Well, wait a minute, we're going to protest your business. Don't say anything bad, you know, don't, like, what was that, Chick-fil-A? Against gay marriage. Oh, no, you're horrible. He spoke the truth regardless of the consequences. And we need to speak the truth. And the truth is what? The world needs to repent. Yeah, and you're, the world's sinning. And it needs to change its direction. You know, and if it, it, it's, it's one of those things, it's not a suggestion in the Bible. 
if we continue to live and allow sin in our lives, it's going to destroy us. It's going to enslave us. And we are going to be judged. You know, the amazing thing that happens is, and you see this world is, they're acting like no judgment's coming. I can do what I want. There's no judgment. We're free. There's not going to be no consequence of sin. It's coming. Judgment will be, it's going to be judged. This world's in sin's going to be judged. In your life, if you allow sin, guess what? God's going to be faithful because he loves you to bring that to light. And you're going to have to deal with it. You know, if you're hiding something, if you're looking at pornography, if you're doing these things, guess what? It's going to be brought to light at some point. Deal with those things. Repent. Change your direction. Simple. You could be sitting here and going, I'm, you know, well, how do I do that? What am I supposed to do? Be like the, these taxes. What am I supposed to do? Good. Repent. And part of repenting is what? God, change me. What do you want? He wants you to do. I can sit in here, we could bring out examples and examples and examples, but as I talk, if the Holy Spirit's laying something on your heart you need to deal with, deal with it. Be done with it. You know? And if you're living there and you're going, well, I don't, I'm living for myself. How do I change that? What, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. God does. How about you try this? Open your Bible in the morning, read it, and when he tells you to do something that day, do it. All right? Don't worry about what you're supposed to do 10 days down the road, 100 days down the road. Just wake up and obey each day. I'd be, I, I just challenge you guys. What if we all did that for a week? What would happen? How much would your life change? If you just, you know, ask God, who's the author of your life and the finisher of your life, what to do today? What, what should we do today? Lord, how should we serve you today? And the world needs a savior. They are sinners. The reality is sin and judgment is coming. But the also reality is you can repent. They can change. There's a God. You can change your way. You can be saved and you can be free of sin. It's good news. Would have never thought before. Go, oh, the good news of the gospel is you can repent. Yeah. I love the word of God. I love how it how faithful God is, how loving he is, that he does not leave us in sin and destruction, but he allows us to change. And I get to go to him each and every morning. I get the God of the universe. He's going to speak to my life today. He's going to author that day. He's going to direct my path that day. We went up to the men's retreat. We were up there all day. We hear all this good teaching, right? We come back down here. I'm going to rat on Tony. So we come back down here, right? And, um, some young men are with us, and uh, we're sitting there, and we're talking all the way down, and I'm thinking I should have been more spiritual later and, you know, asked them some questions. But we get here, we get in the parking lot, we take off, it's about dinner time. The group of young four men, they go over to a pizza place. Tony doesn't know that. He calls Renee, Renee goes, hey, I want pizza. And Tony's like, no, I don't want to get you pizza. He finally goes, okay, I'll go get you pizza. And he goes there, and they're there. And one of them just comes up and starts talking with him. And he's... he's you know, he's been to church, he may be saved or not saved before, but he had some questions. And at that point, he said, hey, yeah, I want God to be Lord of my life. I want to I live for Christ. I want to have a day-to-day relationship with him. Why? Tony is going to get pizza for Renee. And God authors that day and authors that appointment. You know, we were up there, there was opportunities, but everything going around in his head, there was something 
he was struggling with going, man, where am I at with this? Am I, am I really saved? Am I really walking? Where's my heart with this? Maybe I'm not totally sold out. Maybe I'm more focused on my life. And God goes, here, I'm going to meet you. And I got this guy who's willing to go get pizza for his wife. Watch. You know, and put him right there. What an amazing thing. So I'm excited to see what God's going to be doing each and every day in our lives. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you so much that you love us so much and you're in our lives. God, you want to direct our lives. You want to be the author of each and every one of our days. God, that you know way more than we could ever. God, we want to surrender our wills, our hearts, what we think is right to you for each and every day. Direct our hearts, direct our, direct our words, Father, to our families, to our friends, to our coworkers, and to the even people we don't know. Help us just to be a clear reflection of you in your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.